Welcome back to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host, Sri Pendikotlan. With me is co-host Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. And also joining us is special guest sensei Chris Richards, 3rd degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. Welcome back to the show. Morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us back, Sri, and for organizing this. And not a problem at all. This is a continuation of the three-part series we had uh, started last time on the journey to black belt. So... With that, I'm going to turn it over to Shihan to recap some of the things we talked about last time and take us forward. Well, welcome uh, to the second part in the three-part series. This is going to be an exciting episode because we are now starting to talk about the ranks that go from intermediate student to advanced student. So in our last episode, just as a quick recap, we talked about the student's journey um, from white to yellow and then from yellow to blue. So going from being an absolute beginner uh, to a novice to an intermediate student and some of the trials and tribulations uh, of that journey and, you know, how uh, Sensei Chris and how Sri and even myself had, um, you know, had felt during those time periods in in our development as a student. And so now uh, in the second part of the series, we're going to talk a little bit about moving from blue to brown belt and then uh, moving from brown belt to black belt and, and sort of what that journey uh, is like, what it was like for us, what the expectations of a student should be, what the expectations of an instructor should be. So anything you'd like to add before we dig into it, Sensei Chris? Well, I think from my end, uh, looking at brown is a big step, right? And moving from blue, blue personally for me was the best belt ever. Um, it's, you feel like a rock star, you got great dangerous techniques, right? But you're intermediate and the expectations are you can be a little wild and a little messy and still get away with things. But once you get up to that brown belt, you're really turning that corner. You move into a formalized test. Your mindset is changing. Your preparation is changing. So it's all about that operational tempo. But let's talk about it and let's see where we go from here. Sure. So I'm going to just start out um, sort of where we ended the last time. Being a blue belt, uh, it might be one of the longest ranks. Um, People really are right smack in the middle of their journey. They're just at blue belt starting to figure out white belt, really. And, um, you know, they can execute techniques uh, in a self-defense situation. They can go through, you know, the first three charts um, you know, their game as far as any kind of randori or um, uh, Nawaza is, you know, is getting really good. Um, you know, they're setting up strategies and, uh, you know, causing their opponents to make mistakes and taking advantage of that. So it's really an exciting rank. Uh, usually by blue belt, your fitness level is, is pretty darn good. Um, you know, you can uh, really do a smoking workout uh, even after doing really hard warm-ups. Um, so you're kind of right there uh, in your prime. And you've you've really kind of filled your you know martial art arsenal um, with all the techniques you would ever need to defend yourself um, in any kind of basic street situation. Somebody grabbing you, punching you, putting you in a headlock, uh, you know, pulling out a knife, you know, holding you up at an ATM machine. Like you you've got the answers for those and You've practiced them thousands of times, and you you really you know can defend yourself uh, at that point. Um, but as we start to think about brown belt, 
not only are we looking to perfect those techniques at white, yellow, and blue, but we're also starting to learn techniques that might be necessary against a well-trained martial artist of, of any martial art or even you know military martial arts. And the techniques become exponentially more dangerous to uh, receive. They don't really become super more difficult to execute, but boy, when you're on the receiving end, you've really got to know what you're doing, your falls, you know, how to protect yourself, um, because these techniques can really, really be dangerous. And there's a lot of, you know, deadly techniques at the, at the brown belt level and above. So that's what you're getting prepared for. And when you have to go for that test, which is uh, really your first most formal test, uh, where often you will see, you know, black belts from other schools attend um, as you move into brown. Because as we mentioned before, you know, if you get your brown belt, that means people are you know, potentially considering you for a black belt. And that's a pretty elite club. So there's a lot of attention on the perfection of technique, safety, um, history, uh, really kind of understanding um, self-defense and when and why you pick and do specific techniques. And so that that test is going to be, you know, formal where you're you're asked to repeat history and vocabulary and demonstrate all of your techniques, white, yellow, and blue, uh, in a in a way that shows your expertise and shows the uh, safety and depth of understanding that would allow us to feel secure with you moving on to the extremely dangerous techniques uh, that are at brown belt. So before we get into brown belt, um, you know, Sensei Chris, you had to make that journey through brown belt, um, through blue belt into brown belt. And uh, just maybe relay a little bit about what your thoughts were, you know, what you felt about your test um, and, and that part of the journey. Ooh, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'll do my best to keep it <laughs> concise. So a take on a tale of two cities. It was the best of belts. It was the worst of belts. But why? I call it, it was the best of times because you finally feel somewhat established. You've been around. You're comfortable with your peers. You feel a part of the dojo. You know, at this point, jujitsu is becoming less about something you do and more about who you are. And we talked about that on a previous podcast. Like you said, Shion, you somewhat know your stuff. You, you're established. You're you're looking at this stuff. Uh, brown belt. The techniques are hard and complex, but you're ready for that challenge, and you're normally thrilled about the learning. Because I personally found I got really excited at brown belt because it's like, how much can I learn and how fast? I think I was like that a little bit before, but it, it just it takes it to a different level. But also, as you said, you become comfortable in your ability to execute. You have built solid strategies, and you know how to win in most situations. Now, also lower belts normally fear training with you because you're going to be fairly merciless. Now, on the other side of the coin, the worst of the time, the operational tempo is extremely high as well as the expectations. Your fitness level needs to be better than your peers. Um, so you're not coming in there just barely making it. You want to be in the top tier of that. Uh, you have to be present. If you're under three classes a week, you're not meeting the minimum standard. And also the expectations, as we've said, are extremely higher. They're high. It's just there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Decorum. Things are formal. Uh, we're teaching your traditional arts. So that is important. You have to know your history. You have to know the techniques. You have to know your vocabulary. And if you haven't learned it by that point, 
you're doing yourself a disservice. I tell all students, start making flashcards day one. You will thank yourself years down the road. But also, you know, your techniques. Areas where you might have been overlooked, you know, said, ah, that's good enough. That doesn't cut it. Um, those areas are brought to the forefront, not to be, you know, pestering people or as punishment, but the details matter. Um, and also everything at, at the end of the day has to be at a brown belt level. So what you might have done for your blue belt um, isn't going to cut it anymore. What you might have done as a yellow belt technique doesn't cut it anymore. It all has to come up. You know, and the black belts are making your decisions about you. So that is present in the back of your mind every day you come in there. Now, the techniques, yeah, they're hard, they're complex, and they hurt. There's just no avoiding it. Nobody that I know likes receiving a Jijinagi amongst several other techniques. Everybody loves being <laughs> the Tory for Jijinagi. Nobody likes being the Uke. It's just, it. it you're going to doink your head eventually. Um, you know, the bad also is all your peers are looking at you and you're on their docket of who they want to beat. So, you know, you're, you're a target out there. But you're also a target for the black belts because, as we've said before, that level just keeps getting ratcheted up. So the safeties at that point are off, and they're pretty much going full out with you, or at least you hope. Yeah, that's a, a very good um, viewpoint of, of what it's like to make that transition and, and what you have to think about. Um, what what kind of world are you about to step into? Because <laughs> I don't think, you know, students know. They, they sure want the belt. They want to be that higher rank uh, belt. But as you were saying, a lot comes with that. Um, first of all, there's just a huge amount of responsibility, which I'm not entirely sure everybody understands right off, but they understand it fairly quickly. Um, when, when you're a new person walking in the door to a class, or, you know, if you're a lower ranked um, person, you know, you might look towards that brown belt as the last safe alternative to ask dumb questions to or to, you know, fail with, um, you know, before you had to interact with a black belt, right, who who's just scary. And so, you know, you, the brown belt's like that intercessor between <laughs> um, the lower ranks and, and the black belt. Um, the brown belt's also expected to kind of know everything, right? They, they should know all the techniques, they should know the history, they should know the vocabulary. I mean, there really should not be uh, a time where, you know, an instructor says, hey, brown belt, can you go down and help with the with the white belts or the yellow belts? And they don't know those techniques, or they've forgotten the names, or they've forgotten how to do them, or, or whatever. I mean, they are taking on that responsibility of being a leader in the class. Um, so I think that's really critical for everybody to know that you know, you are now moving beyond just technique. And now you're, you know, this integral part of the organization itself, of the dojo itself, and, and you have a role. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not the senpai as far as, you know, when we're talking about the black belt senpai, but in the, you know, purest definition of the word being senior to someone, um, you know, you are a senpai to a lot of people uh, just because you're, you're senior. So it's something that you have to take really really seriously on the on the technical side uh just like you mentioned i mean you threw out jujinagi as a technique which i know everybody dreads receiving um there are a ton of techniques that uh you know immediately are are dangerous 
I mean, you can just see the potential just as they're being demonstrated for the first time of somebody landing on their head or breaking their neck or breaking their back or, you know, all kinds of, of stuff like that. And you have to know that, you know, you have that control, that safety, um, that you're, you know, you're not going to rush into a technique. You're going to learn it slowly until you know it really well. Um, it's, it's almost like stepping into a, a rank where you have no experience yet you have experience, right? You you understand what's going on. Uh, your instructor can compare new techniques to old techniques so you have an understanding. But until you actually feel those things, I I don't really think you have an understanding because like you said, Sensei, they are, they are very painful, very dangerous. A lot of times can't even do them at, at full speed. Um, so, you know, that's sort of what stepping into that realm of brown belt is like. And if I can just um, maybe add another perspective, that's okay? Absolutely. So I'm in the camp of those that failed their brown belt test. And I've seen it happen to others before me. But, and just on that, like when I observed it of others taking their brown belt test, I honestly did not see any like strong reason why they failed, at least from my standpoint. And granted, I was I was more junior, so, and uh, you know, I noticed a couple of students maybe blanked on some of their techniques. But if that was it, you know, technically they still made it all the way through the end, and you know, came out the other side. But then, what made it even more perplexing for me is the notion that I've heard, and that as instructors, you look at people and don't tell them to test or or set up a test for, especially for Brown, unless you think they're already ready and already kind of operating at the level that you, you know, they need to be at before even taking the test. And yet still, they didn't receive their brown belt. And it feels like there's a lot more to becoming a brown belt than just the technical proficiency. So that's a great question, Sri. Um, First of all, let me just say that brown belt, uh, at least amongst the Kobukai dojos, but I've also been a student across other dojos, and I, I can say it's it's pretty prevalent in jujitsu. Is the most failed test by far. More people fail the brown belt test than any other test. Um, so, with that said, you know the question obviously is why. Um, you know, just like you said, we wouldn't have considered them for even taking the test if we didn't think they were ready. And being ready and having intellectual knowledge and being able to demonstrate something is a very different experience than having to do it on the spot, under pressure, Um, you know, names called out at high speed, being exhausted. All of those things um, aren't really the environment that you maintain day after day, year after year in just regular class. There are ups and downs of that. We have pressure fold class. We have classes that will exhaust you, et cetera, et cetera. But it's never, it never comes together all at once where somebody says, right now, today, as fast as you can, I need you to demonstrate 150 techniques and they have to be really, really, really good. And you have to maintain your, uh, your decorum. You have to have the fitness. You know, all of that stuff has to come together today, right now. And that is really, really difficult for people. Um, I have seen people fail their brown belt tests. Uh, number one, by just not having um, the appropriate fitness level. And 
what that means is as the body fatigues, the brain starts making choices as to where it wants to send oxygen and blood and, you know, um, and you, you just start getting sloppy. You start forgetting things. Your brain just starts blanking out. Um, and it looks like you don't know the technique or you forget the name or you don't know the detail, but really where that comes from is just the physical exhaustion because you weren't at the appropriate fitness level. So that's one thing that I see happen often. Another thing I see happen often is missing the details. Now we look for details all the time on every test. It's always like one of the most important things, but at Brown Belt, right? Going to Brown Belt, the details have to be there. And what I mean by details is if you're doing an Aikijutsu technique and there is a specific ending on there that we have been doing since, you know, two ranks ago and you leave off that ending, that's a detail. If your foot is supposed to be in a very specific place on any Atoshi and we're watching you mess that up on all different versions of Atoshi, there's something that's wrong there. Um, there are times where an instructor has taught a technique or two incorrectly, and that ends up on the plate of the brown belt, and that is of no fault of their own, yet it could lead to extreme safety issues later on. So that has to be fixed. Um, there are a myriad of things that uh, you know can happen because it's such a volume of techniques at that point. And it's such a strenuous test. Um, many people have said the test itself, uh, not including sort of the fighting part after, is even tougher than the black belt test because it's the first time with just that quantity of techniques that they have to remember and execute perfectly. So I am never surprised when someone um, does not move from blue belt to brown belt at all uh, because it just happens multiple times. And um, I've seen it happen over, you know, 40 plus years. So uh, it is a difficult test. However, most of those people, 99% of those people who do not pass their brown belt test, go back, work out the kinks, spend a few more months um, and retest and pass. I'm almost always. Uh, it's just the ones that get discouraged and, you know, start to wane in their training and then don't come back that don't make it. Um, you know, the ones that refuse to increase their fitness level, but that is just such a small percentage. Almost everyone that fails does what they need to do and comes back and passes the next time. So hopefully that answers your question. Yes. It, yes. Thank you. It definitely does. And I think it addresses a lot of points that some of us had, um, you know, kind of going on. Um, well, and you, maybe had, even... you had that experience, didn't you? I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, and in your case, I think you on your first test had some level of anxiety about it or um, or something like that because your, your physical fitness was fine. Um, I, I felt like, you know, there was getting in your own way sort of mentally, which also is something that happens quite a bit. Yet when we tested you the second time, which by the way, for our listening audience was a complete surprise. Sri had absolutely no idea the test was about to happen uh, and it happened and simply would not allow him to sort of wrap his head around what was going on and not allow his head to get in the way. And then there was an excellent brown belt test, uh, which you passed. So again, it's, it's something for everybody. 
but uh, going from blue to brown is possible on the first time. Um, but I would say some percentage, maybe 30%, 40%, somewhere in that range, um, maybe 30%. Don't don't pass on the first time. So really glad that you did. I'm glad you had that experience. I'm sure you were quite surprised when that test popped up and, and probably surprised at how you executed almost in a unconscious way right it was just it just came upon you so fast that you had like no time to to think you just had to do and that's where the training came out and and it was great yes thank you and i really did i thought you were just joking you were all just joking um i was in disbelief but you're absolutely spot on exactly you're in my head <laughs> that's exactly what happened with me i just i i didn't have time to to really think about it and and just execute it as I uh, without thinking and uh, you brought that out of me and, and and I'm forever grateful. So let's let's jump now uh, into the next day, right? So you're a student out there. You've made the journey. You've just gone from blue to brown, and you show up at class. And Sensei Chris, let's start talking about that next journey. That journey from brown to black. Okay, so. It, it's really about that transition. You're no longer a blue belt. You've got this shiny new brown belt, right? And you don't feel any different. But now you're looking at going, okay, first techniques. I'm going to learn this. But it's, for me at least, I felt there was a little bit of a pressure bubble. Um, it's a long road. Um, brown is excessively long. You get a year in, you go, hey, I think I got this. I remember talking to you, Xian, saying, I'm ready. I've got it. And you said, keep going. And it will be right when the time is. So like you go through that transition. But as you're looking at this, you're starting to study up. Um, I know personally for myself, I doubled up all my gym time uh, because just the bar was too high. I started running a 5K almost every day. I spent an hour in the gym. I was training down at uh, the Glastonbury. Uh, well, actually, we had transitioned by that time. Uh, shortly thereafter. So training both in, you know, Glastonbury slash East Hartford and going down and training with Sensei Matt. But I think it really comes to that level of commitment that you start to feel. Um, you know, it's a long road and a lot don't finish because once you get there, you start looking around and going, well, there are two or three people that were by my side that are no longer here. They might've been brown belts too, right? And that's due to a lot of things. Um, it's the length of training in years, uh, your life could change. Injuries at this point are normally pre prevalent. If you make it through brown and you don't have anything that's not working 100%, you're, you're like a miracle person. Often you have multiple injuries on you, but you have this desire to carry on. Uh, your mindset also has, has, is very committed. You know, it's for most people who get into brown belt who want to go through that journey, uh, you would have to kill them not to... You know, you're going to have to kill me not to let me go take that black belt test. Now, if you've passed that black belt test, a whole other thing. Um, it's also a selfish mindset. Brown belt is where you have to be a, really 100% committed to this. Um, and you really start putting training above all other things. I have personally, special apologies to my family because I know I was selfish. It meant sometimes I wasn't always there, uh, but they put up with it because it was a very time box type of thing. Yeah, that's a definite jujitsu lifestyle 
uh, occurrence. Everybody, I think, at that level goes through that. As a matter of fact, back in the day with uh, Duke Moore and and uh, Sensei Kunzman, they they made up these little um, sort of fake diplomas for the wives of people going from brown to black. They were called black belt widow diplomas because um, just the amount of time that the people were spending at the dojo and training really took them away from their family. Uh, so, I mean, this is something that's just happened even historically. The, the amount of concentration that you have to put in during that time period is just intense. You're training uh, in the dojo at least three times a week, probably more. Um, you know, you're doing extra classes, you're asking black belts and other brown belts and even lower rank people, okay, can you show up on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday morning? And you're just, you're just putting in the reps and the hours. Not only that, you're constantly studying your charts and you've got charts printed uh, on in the office and on the bedroom nightstand. And you've got, you know, flashcards that you're looking at at lunch and um, you're studying the history. And then besides, you know, the 50 new techniques that you're probably learning, you know, on your brown belt chart, you're probably spending two thirds of your time working on, you know, the blue, yellow and white charts. Uh, because as you get higher in the ranks, often where people have the most problem on their tests are with the stuff that they hadn't been practicing a lot, right? Because, you know, you're a brown belt or a blue belt. You haven't really practicing white belt, but you've been practicing your own stuff. And now you have to go back besides, you know, sort of trying to perfect your brown belt chart is you've got to go back and make your blue belt, your yellow belt and your white belt chart like a brown belt would do it at that level of accuracy and crispness and the appropriate speeds and flows and all of that. Um, so it is just an absolute ton of work. And you're right. If you're not 100% committed, if there's any excuse that you let slip through some kind of crack, um, you're probably just not going to finish the journey. Uh, and that's why, you know, when you think of the hundreds and thousands of students that come through the door, the cadre of black belts is actually a relatively small percentage of people. Now, that shouldn't discourage anybody. All the people that have made it to black belt did not start out as anything, you know, particularly special, giving them any kind of advantage to be able to make it. They simply developed the will over time to go through that journey to the end. And I'm not saying black belt's the end, black belt's actually the beginning, but to to finish, you know, those years of, of training below black belt to be able to make that jump. And it is just a huge commitment, as you were saying, Sensei. And two observations there. One, I'd like to tell a funny story because you talked about the, you know, the studying and all the things that go into it. One of my favorite memories was being at the Hartford in Windsor and looking out over a courtyard and looking down upon, at that time, a brown belt tree Whitaker and him sitting there with flashcards. So those of you who don't know, Trey is an absolutely outstanding human being, one of the best in the world. He was also an assistant vice president at the Hartford. So he was taking his lunches rather than going over notes, preparing agendas, looking at the organization. He was studying his charts. Not only that, I remember, because um, I too was working uh, at the Hartford, and when I was in my car going to get lunch at lunch hour, on my way back, Trey was running. So on his lunch hour, he would go for a run often, no matter what the weather is. 
Come back, get changed, sit out there, throw down his lunch while studying those index cards, just like you're mentioning, and then go back to work. And I'm sure he did it after hours and everything else. And he was mm-hmm. not a kid. I mean, he he joined the jiu-jitsu dojo, I, I think, in his either late 40s or early 50s. You know, he just put his entire mind and being into making that journey. And uh, like you're saying, that's that's what it takes. And I, I call it the bubble, Xi'an and Shri. It's, you have to go in your bubble for that one year, two years, three years out there. And that bubble is just kind of like you're surrounded by your training, your studies, your diet, you know, all these other things, and your commitment to class. You're going in there. You're looking at, um, now I'm really learning how to teach a little bit. You're looked at as somebody who should be teaching, but it's it brings it all together because you're kind of in, like you said, this jujitsu world. And it's it just, it's on your mind all the time. Yes, that's uh, a mandatory requirement. I don't feel like anybody can make it through brown belt to black belt without having the total commitment because there's just so many things that have to be done. Um, you have to perfect all of your techniques appropriate for your brown belt level. You have to know what you're talking about because when you become a black belt, every student that walks through that door, every new person, anybody that even knows your black belt expects you to have a certain level of expertise. They may not know what that is, but they just they just know that you know you can defend yourself that you're in a traditional you know japanese martial arts so there's all of that cultural aspect there's a historical aspect um, they're expecting you to have a level of expertise and um, we are not letting anybody ever uh, get to black belt without having that level i know when we talk about black belt and we talk we'll talk about the test not a single person who passes that test feels like they did well enough because it is so incredibly demanding and there is so much material to cover. But those that make it have, have met those minimum requirements uh, to, you know, to move into the Udancha area. So that's really what Brown Belt is about. It's about taking the four charts, the white, yellow, blue, and brown, and really perfecting them to the level that's appropriate for, you know, being a brown belt and then having, you know, sort of the courage, the fitness and the intelligence to take your black belt test. Now, like you mentioned before, Sensei, everybody gets to a point in their brown belt. Um, Those who study relentlessly, maybe it's a year, year and a half. Those who maybe study at a somewhat slower pace but still make the commitment, you know, it could be two years at brown belt or so. Um, There's a point during that journey where you feel like you're ready to test for black belt. Like you just feel the best you've ever felt. You feel like you're as fit as you've ever been. You really just, you've got everything memorized. You, You know how to help teach in class. Um, you've got the camaraderie with uh, the other people. The black belts look at you different. You know you're ready to go. And it's at that very moment where most of the time, as an instructor who's done this for a really long time, I see this happening again and again. I know that what that feeling is because I had it myself. And you're just, you're gung-ho and you're ready. And it's right at that point that typically... The person needs another, I'm going to say- Six months. Yeah, I was going to say four, five, six months, somewhere in there, um, because they still, surprisingly enough, 
probably aren't fit enough. Their techniques probably aren't sharp enough. And they don't know what that next six months brings them until they go through it and pass their brown belt test. But I can tell you, yourself, um, Trey, pretty much every other black belt has come back and told me at some point after you know achieving black belt that back when they said they were ready, they were absolutely not ready, but they couldn't see that until the day they took the test. And then they realized what the difference was between you know that four, five, six months when they thought they were ready to when they were actually ready. Um, and it's really hard to describe what happens during that period. But what I, what I think it is from my own experience is it's the sheer repetition and the development sort of of the endurance that you get during that time period. Um, and while you're doing that, just doing the reps over and over, doing the same exercises, tightening your diet, on and on and on, all of that now starts to go into your unconscious mind. And that's where it comes from when you do a test at that level or when you actually defend yourself. It comes from the unconscious mind. You have to be bored to death, sick of doing it, and still do the reps for those things to be truly plugged in. And I think that's what happens during that time period. It just makes you say, I have to endure another X amount of months of this until, you know, Sensei or Shihan says I'm ready. And there's something about that period of time it's, that's magical. It's even hard for me to put my finger on what it is. But it happens over and over and over again. And I get the same response from everybody several months after they get their black belt that, in fact, I was right and they weren't anywhere near ready when they needed that extra time. So I feel like that's an experience for everyone. And from my firsthand perspective, I remember having that talk with you where I said, I'm ready. I'm ready, Shion. And you're like, keep going. Um, and I was like, no, no, I really am. And if for me, it actually changed, right? It, I did change as a person. My stuff got sharper. I just got that much more committed. However, when you said it's time for you to test, I said I wasn't ready. I was like, no, I, I got like six more months here. Isn't that You're funny? Because like, no. during that period, you were like, oh, I see what he meant. I wasn't ready. And now I know I'm really not ready. And then kind of right in the middle of that, your instructor says you're ready. And it's like, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I'm, I'm good. Let No, I can take another six months. You said no. No. August. It has to be kind of when, you, it, when you're at that razor's edge. You know, it, it's if you go past it, your performance may not even be as good. It, it's, it's kind of up to your instructor to really watch and say, okay, what I'm seeing is what I know is ready. And I know at the same time what that person is feeling and they're totally feeling unready. And that, that juxtaposition is, is the perfect spot to do that test because there's still a lot of pressure. There's still some anxiety. There's still, um, you know, there's still that sort of nervousness about it, which gives a certain energy, which you need, but there's also now the polish that has happened. And when you combine those two things at the right time, you know, which may only fall into a one or two month time period, um, then you end up with an excellent test. And I would say almost everybody passes. I mean, um, we've had some squeakers uh, where, you know, they've done the minimum, but they were close to the minimum. And then we've had some that have like blown it out of the water. But everybody, uh, I think, that has truly been ready has has passed that black belt test. 
I'd agree. And there, there is a very talented thing that goes on with your instructors because you really kind of <laughs> framed it out there is you are on the razor's edge and there's only so much you can keep up with that operational tempo. I know for me and for several others, I was looking at the Navy SEAL um, BUDS test qualifications, the special forces selection qualifications, and trying to be in the top 1% all of those. So your body can only take so much. Your mind can only take so much because at this point you're training for two years probably. That's day in, day out, weekends. You know, we talk about class three times a week. You're probably picking up other classes. You're probably training with a buddy or two on the weekend uh, just to try and clean up things. But you might be in the gym five, six days a week. And between that and the studying and life in general, there comes a point to where it it's time to get off the bus. Yeah. It's a test. point of diminishing returns at some point. So yeah. exactly. Um, you gotta, you gotta be injury free, uh, you know, you've or relatively injury, injury controlled and injury uh, you controlled gotta, much better. Yep. You've got to be in great shape mentally and physically. And, and that, that's sort of what that journey through Brown belt is, is for, but it's also, I know we're talking about the pressure cooker ending part of it, but the, the actual journey while you're there is a blast. It's, oh, it's, it's really a, total a blast. blast. Oh yeah, it's so fun because you actually know what you're doing, right? It's almost like when you maybe learn to ski or something, right? Um, at the beginning, you know, it, it's fun, but you don't know what you don't know, and you fall down, and you learn, and and then you start getting better, and you want to do things. You want to go on the harder trails. You want to, you know, do the cooler corners, do a little, you know, tricks and that kind of stuff. But it's still, it's still really difficult. But then you just kind of get to a point where you just, you got it. And you really enjoy it and you just enjoy it doing it every time, whether or not your instructor comes in and says, go work on white belt or go work on yellow belt. You're still like, yeah, this is, this is great. I just, I'm just such a part of what's going on here. So I also think that besides, like I said, the pressure cooker and the, the time that you're at Brown belt is just really, really uh, enjoyable. I mean, I see so many, you know, big smiles during that rank of just, you know, truly enjoying being there. Um, that, you know, for sure, it was definitely one of my favorite ranks. And that's a great just position there, really. We did talk about how hard it is, but the memories that you have from that training with your peers, the experiences will last you a lifetime. And it is a blast because you're getting into those fine details. You're enjoying the time, you're training hard. Uh, but you have a lot of laughs along the way. Um, and it's neat because while your instructors are hard on you, they want you to succeed. And that's important. But even more so, your peers want you to succeed. And it's that camaraderie, that teamwork that helps drive you on. That makes it all the worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm hoping for the students or the fans that are listening to this and hearing us talk about you know, the brown belt journey. Um, number one, I want everybody to realize, you know, how enjoyable that rank is. Number two, you know, not sugarcoating it, how incredibly hard uh, it is mentally and physically. Um, and number three, how rewarding it is when you stick, you know, to it and you make it to your black belt. I think when you do, you will look back on your brown belt and, and probably a portion of your blue belt is just some of the favorite times you ever, you know, had at the dojo and the friends that you've made, probably lifelong friends um, at that point, because you've gone through so much together. And then, of course, you know, as we'll talk about in the next part in the series, um, 
is, is being a black belt, you know, doing that test, passing it, becoming part of that very small group, um, understanding your art at a different level, understanding sort of the mechanics uh, and nuances and culture of the dojo in a different way, in a very different way, um, not having uh, some kind of rank or test looming ahead of you that you have to make in any kind of specific timeline, which gives you a certain freedom. Um, there's just a real lot uh, to being a black belt. And and in our third part, we're going to talk about that. We certainly can't cover everything because your journey as a black belt is the, pretty much the rest of your life if you stick with it. So it goes through many, many levels. But we'll talk about the first couple of years, first few years um, as a black belt and, and what that's like. So I'm really psyched to talk about that on our next one. Okay, so yeah, this is uh, really insightful and enlightening, especially for me as a, as a brown belt. And I'm hoping for other students that are in Kobukai and for others listening outside who are maybe contemplating to try out or join Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu coming to class, going through the ranks, isn't all cut and dry. And I was really thrilled when Sensei Chris wanted to talk about this topic because it's not just helpful for students, but also helpful to instructors, hopefully. And that's really given me understanding and appreciation for the toughness and the veracity of this dojo and, and what, you know, we feel like we're always put through the ringer. And we have fun doing it, of course, but in the end, I feel like it changes us. And I think that's really part of what this is all about. That's how I feel like of going through this journey, coming up to a brown belt and uh, seeing my, my training partners who have even surpassed me and gone to becoming uh, black belts, that they're still the same people that I remember when I was a white belt. They're just better in so many ways. And they are my lifelong friends. And so I'm forever grateful about that. And I'm hoping that this really helps others to really understand about what we're all about.